Listen. Are you listening? <laughs> This is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Thanks so much for joining us here today on Radio Taiwan International. Up ahead this hour, it's hashtag Taiwan highlights and in the spotlight. But as always, we kick off today with a brand new episode of Here in Taiwan. Hello and welcome to Here in Taiwan. If you're just joining us now on our Facebook live stream, today is Wednesday, January 20th. Otherwise, it's now, well, I guess it's that would make it Thursday, January 21st, wouldn't it? it I'm John Ventriest, very confused about time today. <laughs> and joining me here in the studio is Dash Butler Hello. and Natalie So. Hello. Up next, we'll be telling you about the fight against propaganda karaoke from China. Then, good news for us, because we all have to wear masks everywhere we go these days. Colorful masks people are using to express themselves here in Taiwan have been found to be free of carcinogens. And the tiny Vatican City is not a place you often consider as an agricultural powerhouse, but thanks to some helping from Taiwan, it's actually uh, growing some, actually quite a lot of crops. <laughs> All that coming up next. Please stay tuned. Taiwan karaoke comes in all shapes and sizes. You can go out to a friends with, with friends to a karaoke parlor. You can sing by yourself in a personal karaoke booth. And of course, a lot of people have karaoke machines in their homes. They do. But I've never heard of propaganda karaoke before. What is that? Well, yeah. So I think propaganda is, you know, I think countries are always getting, they get, they get quite innovative, I think, with the kind of ways of conveying propaganda. Um, this seems like a, a new way, at least to me. Um, so we have a legislator here um, from Taiwanese calling for authorities to investigate the sale of Chinese-made internet-connected karaoke machines containing propaganda songs. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, so they're embedded like, in the KTV, but you don't have to sing them. Yeah, this is. I mean, this is. This so seems to be the no thing. It's, I, I think there's there's a kind of there are two issues at stake here. Partly, it's the fact that they're interconnect, internet connected. Uh, ah, yeah, cybersecurity. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of like I mean, I don't know if we're kind of going for kind of a Big Brother situation here, where people are going to be monitored through their the, KTV the machines. Communists can sing what can see what you're singing. Yeah, they can see what you're singing. <laughs> they can judge your musical yeah, taste. Yeah, it's like wow, this, they're listening in and, and judging you on how badly you sing that song. Um, but no, so this legislator um, Chen Tingfei said that she was approached by a woman who had discovered Chinese patriotic songs such as. My motherland, or the Zhuguo, which is commonly referred sorry Zhuguo, which is referred to as China's second national anthem uh, in Chinese-made karaoke devices sold in Taiwan, um, and I think that's I think that's one of the concerns. I don't really, to be honest, see the problem with there being patriotic Chinese songs on there. I mean, if you want to sing them, we have sing freedom them. of speech here. Yeah, yeah. freedom I mean, of song. Freedom yeah. of song. Too. I think <laughs> the bigger issue here seems to be copyright, um, which is. So according to kind of Taiwan licensing laws, the normal kind of Taiwanese machines can normally contain about 20,000 to 30,000 songs, which is a lot of songs. It's quite a um, catalog. Yeah. yeah, but they obviously have to kind of obtain copyright for all of 
you know the catalogue. Um, but these internet connected devices can just play any song because they're connected to the internet, so they can just stream it. Um, hmm. Yeah, and so I think Taiwanese are kind of angry that these uh, these these Chinese made machines are violating lots of Taiwanese. Oh, okay. copyright as well. We oh. have a question about karaoke here. Okay. Okay. So, hello from Kimmy Egg. Also, Zaza Myuk from Myanmar. Wow. It's hello. great to hear. And if you're listening right now, do drop us a line. Let us know who you are, where you're writing from. Yeah. We'd love to know that. And Myanmar. It's a great country. I've been there. Really? What's mm-hmm. it like? Yeah, very nice. I've oh, there in, I would love to go there too. Year. So, Kimmy asks, what is your favorite song to sing at KTV? Ooh. I abstain. You oh, no. abstain. Or, or, I bet you're good at singing. Only if there's... You're good at languages. Only if there's Queen. Oh, really? I really? Mean, just, that is the bottom line for me. Queen or Edith Piaf. But surely there's always Queen. I think... No. That, really? Their, their selection of foreign songs catalog is often very abysmal, despite the ex- extensive... Yeah, you've got to go to the right I'm places. Not a, I'm not a Mando Pop kind of a guy. It just doesn't mm. appeal oh, to me. Oh, I can't sing Mando Pop. It's really hard It doesn't to appeal to me. Yeah. So, have you tried, like, any... Uh, the Chinese songs or Hakka songs or Taiwanese songs? Um, like Jiang Hui is I can do if I have to in a pinch. Wow, <laughs> I would I would prefer to uh, stick to some more classic repertoire. Anyway, yeah, I think for John me, John is good yeah. at very many languages here in Taiwan. Well, so what about you, one? Natalie? What's your go-to KTV song? Okay, I don't. Well, I would go to like some. Um, Barbara Streisand song. Oh yeah, <laughs> like Evergreen. I mean, these are really old songs. I think, but I, I like to sing like these. Old I think songs. I, I'm I'm a big I'm a big fan of the ones that can get you know everyone in the room on their feet. I think, oh, I think for um for Chinese songs maybe Jie Mei. Jie Mei. It's I, like a Zhang Hui Mei song. Okay. It's just a lot of, yeah. lot of fun. It's one of those songs that can get everyone. Uh, I like um, sisters. You know the uh, Disney kind of Mulan, not the not the new Disney Mulan, but the old Disney Mulan. Oh, the um, let's get down to business. Oh, well, via, was that was make that, a man out of you? That's was, it. Who was it? Was that Donny Osmond? I think it was. Yeah, Donny Osmond. Okay. Yeah, that's a great. That tune. shows I'm showing my age now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I think that's the kind of one that gets everyone in the room on their feet. So has that's anyone, my go-to. Has anyone uh, done a Chinese patriotic song? I have not. Oh, I've never encountered them. I've I'm never done that. Not going to say. It. Apparently, they're, they're also saying that these these machines, the videos, they have the accompanying music videos. They're always bizarre. Yeah, and so these are very kind of militaristic. Oh dear. Uh, Maybe that's what's often. making people uneasy. Possibly. Oh, yeah. I would imagine because it's always someone holding out a flower to someone else or like a pan oh, of a field it's all very symbolic it's never it's never it's has never... anything to do with the lyrics <laughs> right never... yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's, it's like of... why, why solidarity who is behind this <laughs> yeah 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 i don't know who does the design but um yeah these machines contain a lot of these songs um so yeah and the mainland affairs council also expressed concern over the, the really content. well they're afraid we're going to get brainwashed by singing these Perhaps, songs right? yeah i mean you know Taiwanese people love KTV. Love to sing. So, so this is probably yeah. quite an effective way. You know, if you had to brainwash them some somehow, I'd, but I'd, I don't think they're going to sing them. No. I don't think they'd find them in the catalog that thick. Yeah, exactly. How many tens of thousands? Of I mean, songs? you really have to go looking, unless it's kind of the recommend. There's like an algorithm pushing you kind of recommendations uh, oh, yeah. or something like don't that. Don't give them any suggestions. No, we've done that already. <laughs> uh, Fahad Gababi says, "Hello, Radio Taiwan. I'm working here from Somaliland, from the capital Har- Hargeisa." Yeah. So, well, Hello. it's great to hear from you, Somaliland. Um, if if you're listening from anywhere, let us know where you're listening from. And let us know what your KTV preferences are as well, or karaoke yeah. as well. <laughs> Masks, 
They've been everywhere all over the world over this past year, but that uh, is right. in, in Taiwan is no exception. Uh, we're wearing them pretty much everywhere we go, in the metro and public transport especially. And this is more important than it's been in a long time because we've actually got some domestic cases of COVID-19 mm. trickling this past in. past week, yeah. So, yeah, got to keep yourself socially distanced and wearing masks. Um, but lots of people have decided uh, that that the boring old uh, surgical masks aren't for them. They want to express a bit of individuality. And I'm actually, mm. yesterday, right. yesterday in Gongguan saw an entire, I don't know if it's a pop-up shop or a permanent thing, but it's an entire shop that just sells colored masks. Really? Wow. Did you buy any? No, I, I took a look, look at them, though. They looked interesting. Anything look interesting? Yeah. I saw one, actually, at the 101, and I bought a few. Yeah, but so I wanted like to an, share about them. Was it an entire store, though? Because uh, I was... No, it was like a stand. Oh, no. This really nice. So I, I was really excited. store that they rented. Oh, wow, I want to wow. go there and check it out. It's right by the Gongguan Gong Station. So, you know, it just recently occurred to me that actually masks are an accessory. Yeah. I mean, I used to think of them as just something, you know, for our health. Mm. But then I started seeing people wearing different colors, and then some more stylish ones I'm like wow this can really make you look you know kind of stylish um, if you want to I've seen some that have like paintings on them too like classic paintings wow. like the scream oh, yeah. <laughs> like, really like... there's some really <laughs> fancy ones um, well in the news recently they tested a hundred manufacturers of these colored ones because people right. are kind of concerned that they may be carcinogenic mm -hmm. yeah. and they turned out to be all okay oh, which is good great so um, so those are fine but they did say that if you notice a smell that's not good. Mm. So, um, I, I mean, mean, but don't, you know, I, I think the masks that we have kind of have a, a bit of a, not like, a you know, an unpleasant smell, but a plasticky smell. kind of. Yeah. So people were afraid that formaldehyde and azocolorant, um, you know, which are used in synthetic dyes, uh, may have uh, high concentration. So um, in these masks, but they are fine um, They so far. But they said if you you know, sense a pungent smell or residue, then you probably shouldn't wear the mask. Just you should check out the manufacturer. Or make sure you're not standing your stinky tofu stand first. So, <laughs> oh yeah. That's so let me share with you guys too. some of the cute smell? masks I got. Um, oh my God. Like, this is like really colorful. That's cool. You like wow. that one? Very jungly. And very I love neon. the like, I like the flower ones. I mean, I think oh, this is very, very, very yeah. nice. Oh. I don't know. You guys are guys. I don't know if you're into it. Blue and purple. That's pretty cool. Would oh. you wear something like that? I would actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really makes a nice out. You know, if you're wearing all blue and you have this, it looks really it nice. It completes your look. Yeah. Right. And this is like black and gray flowers. Hmm. And then we have the green and white flowers. These strike me somewhat as kind of like the kind of patterns you find on like your grandparents' furniture. On the curtains. Then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Drapery. Maybe yeah. that's where they got the idea. From. Maybe. And then the, you know, diamond shapes, you know, blue, purple, green. Hmm. Do you guys cool. like that? Yeah. Would, would you ever get a, a mask that had kind of writing on it that had like a message? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it depends what the message is. Right? Well, yeah. What would you, what would well, I don't say? know. I mean, um, like smile or smile. Uh, <laughs> something positive. Or scream. I don't know. <laughs> um, watch out. Get out of here. Six no. feet. <laughs> yeah. Two meters away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Keep, Keep your distance. distance. So, what would you guys want on your mask? If you have any ideas, what would you guys want on your mask? Um, I've, I haven't bought any particularly colorful ones yet, but I, I like the idea of like 
an art print or something fancy like that. Yeah. I've seen some really pretty you can ones. Make people I mean, think you're very cultured. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> wow, that guy, he's so sophisticated. Right. So. I don't know. I think I've, I actually haven't bought any. I've just got them from the pharmacy. <sighs> I haven't got like any colored ones. My favorite ones that I've seen are from a place I follow on, on Facebook. It's called the Museum of Bad Art and oh. it collects like thrift store, like terrible works. Oh, no. Oh, and so what kind of um, images do they have on the mask? Just like really bad paintings, I've, but it's like. Have you been like uh, on, on the going up? to Dantre on the riverside they've got these huge murals and they're like all kind of a parody version of like very famous paintings right. I'm kind of imagining that basically yeah, on a mask I like that yeah. um, I don't know um, I would like to see paintings on masks, like Monet and... Yeah, they have them. They have they water do. lilies and things, I bet they're I'm pretty sure. expensive, right? I don't know. I mean, they I probably know. use uh, factory methods to That's make them, true. so I doubt it. Yeah, I don't so know. So this was like about um, maybe four times as much as the average. Oh, oh really? That's okay. a bit pricey. It, it's well, it's yeah, a little bit. I mean, just for, you know... And they're single use only, so it's kind of a shame. Mm. So, yeah, depends if what how much you care. Well, you know, at least they're not hurting us. I'm surprised that they haven't shown up on like... You know, haute couture like the latest fall. The fall fashions didn't I feature them. I think have. they do. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of the big brands like, they weren't in Milan. They already have masks. I, like Gucci I, I don't know. I'm not following. Yeah. A lot of big brands have their own masks, cloth masks, really? not these disposable ones. I was going to say that's for people who have that's, entirely too much money. I mean, I don't know. If, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like looking at pictures of people in the UK and the US, a lot of more people are wearing cloth masks than they are yeah. kind of. You can actually do masks. two. You can have a medical one and then a cloth one to put on the outside. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. and the medical right. one you just use it every day, and mm, 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 the mm, other mm. one, you know, you can just like, wear it every day. I just yeah. love that idea. Like, who are you wearing? Oh, it's. it's it's, uh, it's Ralph Lauren. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, tiny Vatican City is Taiwan's only ally in Europe. Uh, we have full diplomatic rec- uh, relations with them, at least as of the time of recording. These things do tend to change quickly, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and we have helped the Vatican build a like factory farm as in the crops are stacked in rows and like they have uv lights and stuff wow it's sounds those pretty futuristic futuri- yeah yeah you can control the temperature and so, the somehow watering. that kind of seems inc- i mean my image of the vatican is a very kind of traditional place yeah well to be fair this is done with the vatican it's not in the vatican it's oh, too okay. small to fit you know, it's, it's yeah. in italy somewhere you know it's somewhere there in the kind of you know what do you call the it? recesses the sistine the, chapel like the just, catacombs <laughs> they just stuck it you know i'll just put it there in the corner It'll, that'll be fine <laughs> it's uh, yeah, representatives of Taiwan and the Vatican uh, last Friday celebrated the first harvest from this indoor oh. farming facility with an Italian dinner made with an ingredients. Italian dinner. Ooh, yeah. Ingredients that they grew themselves. Italian did they say, did they say dinner, what they grew? Good. It doesn't say. It's um, a shame. Uh, it's hard to tell from pictures, too. It's just random greens. Yeah, I think I saw that. It was kind of, yeah, they didn't bother to explain. This is a uh, a 60-hectare complex is where it's located in the southwest of Rome. And over the past few years, it served as a testing ground for a number of environmental initiatives that the Vatican has uh, put forward. It's been inspired by an encyclical letter, the second encyclical letter of Pope Francis, in which he calls for a global response to environmental damage and climate change. So, uh, yeah, uh, this is here at a place called the City of Youth. It's done with a Catholic foundation that provides educational opportunities and career training to young immigrants and refugees. So I wonder if any of the any of them were involved yeah, maybe in they're this kind process. Of employed. Um, and so the idea is to uh, showcase the role of technology in developing more sustainable agriculture. And um, so yeah, this group, this company from Taiwan, it's called, it's Yes Health iFarm in Taoyuan. Yes Health iFarm. Yes. 
Help. Uh, like I as in like iPhone, not like iPhone. Right, right. <laughs> iPhone. Okay. Apple may have an issue with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they've stepped in. They're a leader in vertical farming, which, like I said, when you stack them mm, up mm, mm, mm. Uh, in an indoor setting, and uh, they allow for like com- they have computerized temperature, lighting, and water control. Uh, this is environmentally sustainable. It has high yields. Small land is there's not really yeah, land yeah, involved yeah, at yeah, all. Exactly. It's in rows, and there's less water waste. And less need for environmentally harmful things like fertilizers or pesticides. Uh, so they've been involved in this. And uh, the foundation chairman on the Vatican side said that Taiwan's commitment to the project has been especially meaningful because we're in the middle of a pandemic and they kept sending people over anyway. I mean, despite right. the obstacles, the obvious obstacles for international exchanges. Yeah. And an expert with Yes Health Eye Farm who helped design this 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 facility says that uh, it was really worth the effort because, I mean, they've got their harvest to show for it, despite obvious things like the need to quarantine when they arrived. I was going to say, because if they're kind of sending a steady stream of people to Italy, then that's that's a lot of quarantine hours. Not to mention the language barrier. That's true. So, um, yeah, the Taiwanese representatives and volunteers at the project uh, were treated by the foundation. I guess the foundation had the Italian cooks on its side. Yeah. To a meal using herbs and vegetables grown in the I mean, garden. if it were the Taiwan, I, I think you know, I've I've had Italian food in Taiwan. It's not it's not quite up to not the same. Um, no. Yeah. How is it in England though? Probably not the same either. I, I'm sure it's not the same. But you know, everyone, you're, we're all used to our different kind of corrupted versions. Of <laughs> That's cuisine, true. That's so. true. Well, um, yeah, the idea they say they hope that this facility will serve an example as an example to promote the concept of smart agriculture more broadly in Italy. So, uh, yeah, Taiwan is uh, doing its part. As we say, Taiwan can help. We'll move over, Burning Man. Taiwan has a burning boat festival, and it's just taken place for the first time in 18 years in one area in the south of the country. Wow. Um, this is not... I don't think these are necessarily seaworthy boats, but they are full scale, built okay. to scale, and they are burned on the seashore. That sounds wow. very dramatic. Which shore? Dramatic. Uh, in this case, it is in... Let's see. The Bai Shalun Wanfu Temple in Kaohsiung. And mm. uh, nearly 10,000 people gathered, which is something we can thankfully still do in Taiwan, despite yeah. COVID, to watch this. It's a religious ritual helped to protect the community and its fishermen. Locals swear by it. Uh, this particular temple hasn't held it in 18 years, though. Uh, is that, do they give a reason? Why, why not for 18 years? Uh, some temples have a similar event every three years. So I think it's just cyclical or occasionally, or like sort of sporadically. Sounds quite um, special, though, yeah, if it's not yeah. for 18 years. This is used to worship the, the Wangye, which are a class of gods that are believed to come from the sea. And they prevent, they've their, it's claimed that they have lifted plagues in the past and uh, sort of avoided other catastrophes. Um, maybe the reason they haven't done it in 18 years was there wasn't COVID. They could, COVID may have something to do with it. It's well, not mentioned in this article. <laughs> mm, yeah. Good yeah. luck to them. They first held the temple, this particular temple, although this is an old tradition in Taiwan, first held its, bur- its king boat burning ritual in 1960, and they've had eight others since. Um, it says that each time the gods have approved through the tossing of divination blocks, the way they land gives a yes or no answer. And it could just be that they didn't get a yes answer recently. Uh, but For this 18 year they years, did. wow, yeah. Um, one person, an elderly fisherman who took part in it, is quoted in this story, uh, remembers taking part in the previous ritual uh, 18 years ago and says that that year they had a, a massive catch. So oh, really? after, so, after that, okay, and uh, so that's why they say they swear by this. They take this very seriously. And who makes the boat? 
they have this is a sadly a dying art i've i've interviewed someone who does this oh wow um, it's not many people there are professional maker builders though yeah and they make the boat you at know. full boat scale that must be i, I don't never, know it must be kind of bittersweet experience making a boat that you know is going to be burned well it's for the quickly. good of the community yeah uh, in some cases i've seen that they've like they drag it through the streets on like a parade float sort of before wow. before taking it to the beach and burning it yeah there. yeah yeah. well um, i guess you want everyone to see your craft right you know while it's there um so it was moved at 7 a.m last friday about a kilometer from the temple put on a huge pile of ghost money or spirit money which is a sort of fake paper money fake that's money. burned for the the ghosts are supposed to receive it in the other world, but only once it's been burned. And there was a, a pile of other traditional offerings that were burnt. And uh, yeah, hopefully they'll get uh, rid of this COVID. It's, uh, yeah. Or just get really a good fishing catch again. You know, that, that's true. another possible outcome. True. Um, so there was, yeah, thousands of worshippers. And uh, this particular fisherman that we quoted earlier said that even though he's retired, he still goes and he's still wanted to make sure to take part in this event. Interesting. We yeah. have a few uh, people saying hello here. So, um, Sabina Guo. And also, well, actually, I asked them, do you guys wear masks? What colors? We're okay. going back to the mm. mask. Let's hear. Let's hear. And Radha Krishna says he wears white and black. White Ooh. and black. Ooh. Like checkered? Yeah. I wonder like if there's like striped. a pattern to that. Sabina Guo says she wears a stunning pink one. Ooh. And then uh, Saflu Islam. Is writing from Bangladesh, so he says hello, and he says, "I love you, RTI." We love you too. We love you too. <laughs> so, um, yeah, keep writing in. Let us know what you think of what we're talking about. Yeah, um, I've always wanted to go to one of these boat burning events, but they happen so rarely, and they're always at inconvenient times for me. Mm. So, have you ever been to the Geelong uh, Ghost Lantern Festival? I have, but that I sounds pretty stunning. It does, but uh, I think the lanterns are sort of like. They're like in the little houses, big, right? Yeah, yeah. And then they go, they, they take them they out, go out to, to the water and, and, and wow. burn up. Burn into the water. Um, so, yeah, a lot of burning of things in Taiwan. Yeah, there's Actually, a lot of fire. It's not very environmental, though. And I always, I have, to this day, uh, when it's, because there are two days uh, in a, a lunar month when people who are, who believe in traditional religion will burn this paper and i always swear something's caught fire and i'm always like well, where is it <laughs> I, I once you know i, I was uh, recently i was somewhere on the east coast and uh, i was sitting in a, a restaurant and behind me we saw in the kind of back door we kind of looked at someone opened it an employee and there was just a fire there and it was quite alarming actually yeah, normally a big fire. was it coming out of like um a a tin they normally have well, a this is the thing container. Is normally, yeah, it's normally a container. It's normally in the front of the shop. But right. they've done this one in the back. And it wasn't really clear if it was the restaurant on fire or if they were intentionally burning something. But no one seemed very worried. So I assumed They're that... They're probably intentionally yeah. burning stuff. But it was still... For a moment there, I was quite, I was quite concerned. Uh, yeah, people burn things all the time here. Uh, that just happens to be a particularly dramatic case. <laughs> yeah, a big boat. Not every day you see that kind of thing. Do you have any more people writing in? Um, that's it for now. Okay. So, yes, let us um, know if you're watching. Well, that just about does it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. I'm Natalie So. And I'm Stash Butler. Don't go anywhere just yet, because up ahead, it's hashtag Taiwan, highlights, and in the spotlight. Thanks once again to everyone who joined us on Facebook Live and left a comment. Bye. Bye-bye.
The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Hello and welcome to Hashtag Taiwan. I'm your host, Leslie Liao. Thank you so much for joining me. Last year, on June 18th, I did a Hashtag Taiwan segment about how people in Taiwan wanted to really emphasize the name Taiwan on things like the national carrier and its passports. That's because the official name of Taiwan as a country is actually the Republic of China. Now, if you can't remember the history behind that designation, you can always hop on the Taiwan Insider Facebook page or the Radio Taiwan International YouTube channel and search up the June 18th episode of Hashtag Taiwan just to give yourself a little bit of a review. But here's the abridged version. People around the world were confusing Taiwan with China because a lot of our official documents and our official companies, they still contain the name China and people were advocating that those names get changed to Taiwan. Well, earlier this January, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs announced that it was going to start issuing new Taiwanese passports with a design that was emphasized around Taiwan. Now, you might think that this all happened relatively quick because the last time we covered it, it was still in the advocacy period. But the legislature of Taiwan actually passed a resolution as soon as July 22nd to make sure that a new passport design and new designs for airplanes of the national carrier China Airlines were implemented as soon as possible. Not only that, but the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is also encouraging people to switch over to the new passport by offering a few incentives. We're going to be covering all that and more in this week's Hashtag Taiwan coming up in 3, 2, 1. This is what my Taiwanese passport looks like. Get a good look at it because that's the last time you might see that design. On January 11th, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs started handing out new passports with new designs. It looks like this. Why did the government decide to design a new passport? The story goes back to July 22nd of last year. On that day, Taiwan's legislature passed a resolution to emphasize Taiwan on passports and the national airline. As I've mentioned before, Taiwan is officially referred to as the Republic of China. If you don't remember why, then I highly suggest you go back to the June 18th episode of Hashtag Taiwan, where I go over the history behind that designation. In fact, that episode also talked about changes to passports and airplanes. Between then and now, the government finalized and rolled out a new passport design. Let's review. This is the old design, and this is the new design. The first thing you might notice is that the Republic of China is gone. However, it's still there in Chinese, and the English version is now around the sun insignia on the center of the cover. If you squint, you can still see it. The word Taiwan, on the other hand, has been enlarged. On January 11th, President Tsai Ing-wen published a post on social media commemorating the new passport's rollout. She said that it was important to emphasize Taiwan so that the international community doesn't neglect the country's existence. If a bigger Taiwan weren't already reason enough to get a new passport, Taiwan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs announced on social media that those that applied for the new passport on the first day would get one of two special gifts. One is a traditional spring couplet which, when viewed upside down, reveals the message, Pursue freedom and democracy. The other is a lucky luggage tag. What makes it lucky? I don't know, maybe the picture of a giant pigeon straight up sitting on an airplane? 
Anyway, Minister of Foreign Affairs Joseph Wu was at the consular office to make sure the rollout went smoothly. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs later posted this image about how useful Taiwan's passport is, enabling citizens to visit a lot of countries visa-free. The caption said, The Taiwan passport ranked 32nd in this year's Hanley Passport Index, which puts it well ahead of a certain neighbor in 70th place. You know, maybe a couple of years ago, talk like that would have excited me, but these days, it's not really a story about the Ministry of Foreign Affairs if they're not throwing a little shade. Anyway, as much as I like this new passport design, I'm not going to be fighting anyone to get it. I mean, it's not like I can go anywhere right now anyway. Unlike Pigeon Boy over here, he about to go everywhere. I have a feeling that a lot of people are wondering why it's not a story about the Ministry of Foreign Affairs if they're not throwing a little shade. And the reason behind that is because of the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Joseph Wu. He likes to take to Twitter on the Ministry of Foreign Affairs official Twitter and lay down a little smack talk from time to time, if you will. He's a pretty outspoken individual, and if you want to go on the Ministry of Foreign Affairs Twitter, he actually signs his own tweets with JW. Anyway, that just about does it for this week's Hashtag Taiwan. I do hope you enjoyed that episode, and if you did, go ahead and follow us on social media. You can find us at Taiwan Insider or Radio Taiwan International on Facebook. I'll talk to you again soon. This is Highlights, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Nally spoke with the former director of the American Institute in Taiwan, or AIT, William Stanton. Tell us, what do you think of this decision? How, how big a deal is this? Well, I think it's a, a very big deal. Um, anytime a secretary of state makes a policy announcement, particularly on a subject that is not often directly uh, addressed by a secretary of state, I think it's a very big deal. Uh, the fact that Secretary Pompeo, particularly only nine or ten days before the end of the Trump administration, would make this announcement, I think gives it added importance because I think it demonstrates that he really wanted to uh, to do this before the end of the administration. I was quite surprised and I thought it was very significant. Mm. But the big question now is, because it's the end of the Trump administration, what will happen next? Well, can you tell me um, what you think this really entails, though? What are the implications, practically? Yeah, it, well, that's one of the things we have to recognize is that a lot of the self-imposed restrictions um, have slowly disappeared over the years. Uh, my understanding is that they first at least according to one uh, scholar I've spoken to, they go back to about 1978 um, when somebody began to work on what it would mean, uh, and the State Department began to work on what it would mean if we broke relations um, with Taiwan, established them with China. In fact, um, I found just last night, looking because I knew I'd be talking to you, a piece of paper unclassified, um, with no date on it, but I'm pretty sure I was given before I came to Taiwan in 1986 for 10 months of language training. And it was basically, the, the title of it was Do's and Don'ts in Taiwan, or in, in, with regard to Taiwan. Ah, and You have that paper with you? 
Yeah, I do. Can I see it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so what are some of the things here? Do use Taiwan, don't use Republic of China. Interesting. Do use the economy, island, area, or jurisdiction, don't use country. Yeah, what they didn't take into account, if you ever tried to talk about something and, and you're talking about a country and you don't use the word country, how awkward in English it sounds and how silly at times. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. So James Fong is from the United States, but he's been in Taiwan seven years. Taiwan is a great manufacturer of a lot of things, but not necessarily really know how to market or brand themselves. That's what James said. And so James has a business doing just that, marketing and branding Taiwanese companies. But last week, he talked extensively about this Giving Tree project. Uh, is this other project on the side for expats to give to disadvantaged communities like children from orphanages and the elderly. Today, he will begin by talking about his other title, and that is as a filmmaker. After all, that was his reason for coming to Taiwan. You actually grew up studying film, was it? Or I actually grew up, yeah, I, I've been making films since I was um, in high school. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a very interesting story there. So I was on my way to become uh, pursuing uh, a career in professional tennis. What? Yeah. So I was a, te- I was, I was a tennis player. <laughs> we didn't player. talk about this before the interview. Okay. No, we didn't. <laughs> so I was supposed to be a professional tennis player. Um, so I started playing tennis when I was 13. And then by the age of 16 or 17, I was like pretty much, I was 30 in Northern California. Mm-hmm. And I was pursuing, you know, trying to go to play college and all that. Uh, an unfortunate incident happened uh, when my doubles partner slash best friend at the time passed away. Oh. So suddenly passed away. Now I didn't really have the motivation. So I just quit tennis. Uh-huh. You know, it was too painful for me. Yeah. So right after that, I met these new friends. And they literally knocked on my door one day and they go, hey, James, you know, would you like to be in a film? I was like, what? What are you guys talking about? They're like, oh, we're in film production and we need some actors and hey, let's film. I was like, all right, cool. (laughs) Then I started getting into filmmaking Uh and I was acting and I made... Wait, just like that? Just like that. You were, were you doing some kind of videos, anything on the side? No, nothing. What? Yeah. So that (laughs) definitely filled the void that I had in my life because I stopped playing tennis. And right. tennis was something I spent four or five hours a day, every mm. day for like years pursuing that sport. So when that piece was gone, I didn't have much. So when this filmmaking thing came, it, it was so fun, you know, it's so enjoyable. So I started acting. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, I did a 50 minute film for, for just for fun uh-huh. and got like literally everybody involved. And that became a passion. And so basically film and acting took over for tennis. And then so I went, I, I actually went to uh, college at UCSD. I even studied uh, minored in theater. Okay. And then I started acting in a lot of films and then and it led it to a career. So I moved to um, China right after college because I had an opportunity to do a, a feature film there. And I acted for a couple of years there and then transitioned into doing filmmaking and directing and writing and directing. And then my first film, uh, we actually, like, I, I was so surprised, but we won a bunch of awards, just my first film. And then... It, 
people were like, "Man, you have a talent in doing this. You should." You're the pers- main character. Yeah, I was the main character.、Oh. I wrote it, directed, produced、oh. it, and acted in it. Like even did a rap song for it. Like it was a it literally did everything.、Uh, You're multi-talented.、Uh, <laughs> God is good. <laughs> no, I'm just、okay. kidding. Okay.、Um, so that basically led to my career in directing. Uh-huh. And then I started, and then you know, like film school is expensive. You're looking at like 200k US to go to a reputable film school and all that, and then and a couple of years of your life. And I didn't want to go that route, so I did this self-taught route and just went in to directing. Yeah, in directing and then filmmaking in general. So I went to the bookstore, literally bought out the whole bookstore, every book on filmmaking, and then started studying it. You're one of those people who read books. I guess back then, weren't there like Google or YouTube's that teach you those kind of things? No, actually, back then they didn't have YouTube tutorials and whatnot. Okay.、Um, so literally, it was everything by trial basis, and for me, it was just you know it's it's, it's part of the process. You you know you you master your craft by spending you know the hours studying and、mm. executing the things. And、um, so yeah, I was like I was holding down like a bunch of different jobs and living at home with my parents to save money so I can use the money to put it on my films. And then that's when I, you know, I I, I did a couple of films and、uh, buy equipments. Yeah, buy equipment. I bought a camera, and back then we we had tapes, so you had to、uh-huh. film on the tapes. And I did a documentary. You know, it took us like four or five years to do this documentary on the sport of mixed martial arts. And you can imagine how many tapes I had. Each tape was like only sixty minutes of filming. Yeah. So that was. Were yeah, you into martial arts? Are you into? Yeah, martial yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, I'm into、But、martial you, arts. You you decided to make a documentary about martial arts yourself. I did. Yeah, mixed martial arts. So this was when the sport, like the UFC, was actually wasn't that big, and I just knew that this would blow up, and I just knew that I wanted to make a film about this because the life of MMA fighter at the time, versus the life that I had as an independent filmmaker, I just there was huge parallels. So I reached out to some famous fighters in the San Francisco area, and we connected. I literally just started showing up. Like it was so interesting. I, the first meeting, I showed up at the gym, and my guy was like, "Hey, what's up?" I was like, "Hey, what's up?" All right.、Um, yeah. So we're gonna train now.、Um, yeah. You do whatever you want to do. All right. Cool. Sounds good, man. And maybe we can grab lunch after.、Uh-huh. Yeah. Sounds good. Cool. And I just started showing up all the time、uh-huh. with a camera, and I just started filming them and getting to know them, getting into their lives. And then there was a lot of hype、uh, because we released a trailer of the actual film, and then the fight community really, you know, I got a lot of views on YouTube and all that. And then the film, like I said, took four to five years to finish,、uh, was finally done,、uh, all like self-funded and done with like, you know, a lot of my friends that didn't really get paid in the beginning, like on on, on deferred pay, and it's very much a passion project and something we're very proud of. And when the film actually sold, that's when my friends in Taiwan,、uh-huh. you know, they had they knew that I did this film and I had just sold it, and I had also just won a competition.、Um, it's called the Seventy Two Hours Shootout. It's a national、um, U.S. competition where you make a film in seventy two hours. Yeah. And we won. I think we swept the awards. Like took the top prize, best editing, best cinematography, everything. And what was the topic about? The topic,、uh, the particular film was about the, that that I wrote was it's called、uh, Distance. Okay. And, I, and I did it with two buddies of mine. We did everything together.、Um, What's the distance? It's basically a movie about relationships,、okay. ro- romantic relationships, where you know people get to a certain stage about intimacy, and you need to make decisions、mm-hmm. about how you whether you want to go forward with the relationship or not. It's about the struggles of making that choice sometimes. 
You were the director. You weren't in the film. I was in the.、Oh, I also acted because <laughs> it was just a three-person crew. We <laughs> shot it in black and white. Oh. So we literally did everything together. Uh huh.、Okay. Yeah. And then I yeah and and I did act in this one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no budget, no nothing. You do it over a weekend, no sleep, kind、right. of deal. Seventy-two hours. Yeah. But yeah. I think the substance behind the film,、uh, and what it was about. I think definitely、came. was won the judges over. Right. Yeah.、Came、so、through. after that film came out, my friends in Taiwan, who are entertainers, you know,、uh, musicians, and、uh-huh. they said, "Hey, we would love to have you come on board." Yeah. And we already have an apartment for you. We rented like three months ago. I was like, "What? <laughs> who does that?" <laughs> yeah.、Uh, really. Yeah. Very good friends. <laughs> yeah. And then、uh, so they flew me over, and I started, you know, I arrived, and we started.、Uh, yeah, I started falling in love with Taiwan. And also, my contacts in China on the film side started hitting me up. I flew over there for a job,、um, and then the rest is history. I made a decision to come back to Asia full time and move here and set my roots here in Taiwan, so that I could also work in China because it's so close. Yeah. And so now we started doing a lot of international,、um, you know, commercials and those things,、uh, working with、uh, some of the big brands, and that's how my career、uh, on the filmmaking side started seven years ago here in Taiwan. Okay. Yeah. So,、um, so you mostly doing commercials and yeah. documentaries. Yeah. Uh huh. So we did a project with the Taiwanese government. Yeah. And on actually,、uh, f- to actually basically help the、um, help Taiwan attract foreigners to come live here, and it's basically short documentaries, about thirteen documentaries, no, sixteen documentaries, on expats or foreigners that were living here in Taiwan. And、oh. it was to promote, you know, how living in Taiwan is awesome. So we focused on, you know, some really cool spots like, you know, cycling in Taiwan. I think I might have seen some of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So、uh, that was、oh, something so we did. That was really cool. Yeah, that、okay. was. <laughs> You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Well, what is exactly that you really like about Taiwan? Can you be more specific? Not to be generic, but that is definitely one of the main things. Is、mm. that you know people make you feel pretty warm here. But I just think that Taiwan is a country very open and accepting, and、uh, and I think there's huge potential here because I see the hearts of the Taiwanese people as people that really have a lot a lot of love to give, and that is in alignment with my life purpose, which is to spread the love and kindness and building community that really thrive on that. And really be able to utilize that love and really give it back to the people that need it in this in this world. And that's kind of you know one of my missions in life is to do that. And I feel like Taiwan is a perfect country. And the you know like just the Giving Tree alone, the fact that we did you know the first year I think it was like sixty, second year、um, you know four fifty. This year is a thousand. You know like I just feel that wow, sky sky's the limit. And、yeah. then we haven't even really tapped into. You know, any of the CSR programs from the corporation side. Imagine if that comes into the picture, and we have funding and actually have some money、mm. to, you know, like really do even bigger things. So, I mean, personally, I would like to do an event every like quarter, big event. I'm talking about like, you know, let's say go to the homeless, you know, in Taipei Main Station, throw a block party for them, all the food,、um, you know. And then one thing we do is also haircuts. We do we have a haircut、right. ministry where every three months we go to the soup kitchen, provide haircuts for the homeless people there. So these are all things that really I feel like we're really we can foster such a strong community of giving back, and to you know like for the next generation we have a lot of kids that come to our events you know that's kind of like what I would like to do、uh, on a personal level and we're trying to accomplish as a group with Salt Collective.、So、if you're an influencer, don't just influence people and show people on social media the nice clothes that you're wearing, how good you look on social media. Spread some real awareness. Influence people the right way. 
by joining us, you know, at Salt to actually, you know, contribute and give back. What other dreams do you have? What are the plans do you have down the road? Career-wise, I like to grow my company. I feel like there's a huge、uh, market here, and that hasn't been tapped because you know a lot of Taiwanese companies they're they're OEM for a lot of the biggest brands in the world because they make some of the best stuff. Now the problem is that these companies, these manufacturing companies, are lacking in the marketing and the digital marketing side to actually create their own brands and sell it on e-commerce. So one thing I would like to do for Taiwan is to bridge that. Mm. And really become, you know, the company the, that can really help a lot of these manufacturing plants get into the Amazons. You know, selling some of their best stuff. One of our clients, some of his products, I can't give the, give away the name due to、yeah. you know confidential. But one of our products actually just made the Amazon choice after going on Amazon for like less than two months. So that's something I'm proud of、mm-hmm. because we help this company that's been doing OEM for the last forty years, and we you know with very low margins. Help them build a brand, literally on Amazon. That's selling out. They sold out all their units like the first week, and then now, if this at this trajectory, this brand will be known in the U.S. on the e-commerce side, and they're going to make a lot of money from it. So that helps Taiwan financially speaking, because all the money is going to come back to Taiwan, and、um, that's what I like to do is、mm-hmm. to help a lot of these companies and、uh, to also work together with these companies that actually want to do good. Also, the main issue I feel. Uh, for a country like Taiwan, why they lack branding and marketing and all that? I, to be honest, is really just about the actual education and experience of it. For me, it's about being exposed to, like,、uh, you know, Western culture. I grew up in the U.S., so I mean, as as a, as a media guy myself, like everything I absorbed, you know, I understand exactly what they were trying to do, how they're trying to accomplish it. And then when you study, you know, for myself, like you know, psychology, and then you start kind of like putting the pieces together, you start realizing like, oh wow, okay, that's actually what's going on here. And I think for a lot of the Taiwanese companies, because I mean, let's be real—you can't be good at everything. And Taiwan,、yeah. the main focus, what they're really good at, is you know producing a lot of engineers.、Mm-hmm. And on the production side for manufacturing,、um, you know, Taiwan is superb. Like a lot of the companies I work with, like you know, like、uh, this radio company that I have, the Hydro Flask, you know, Sanjine,、mm-hmm. they're the you know among the best in the world at, at making radios, and they've been doing this for forty-five years.、Mm-hmm. So that's their specialty. So how can you tell a company that specializes in manufacturing to be like, hey, so、um, yeah, now let's go do some branding?、Uh-huh. It's like it's like a fish out of water.、Yeah. So they have no experience with that, no, and、yeah. and also I think a lot of the schools here. Don't really、um, emphasize on marketing because、uh-huh. of this, you know,、uh, emphasis, heavy emphasis on production.、Mm-hmm. And so, when you don't really,、uh-huh. you know, have the kind of training or the kind of schools that really emphasize on marketing, and you know, like even the the manpower, like like, like the professors and people that are teaching this stuff who don't have experience in marketing,、right. how can you how can you improve?、Uh-huh. You can't. Okay. So that's where people like me, you know, come in, yeah, where yeah, we have、yeah. this background. Like, and you know, I'm, I'm like milked in marketing since, you know, since at a very young age. I'm, I'm grew up in social media on Facebook and everything, and on Instagram. So I'm very well versed in those areas. Now I can come in and use my professional experience with the American aesthetics. Taiwan needs you, James. <laughs> that's why I'm here. <laughs> I know. Wow! And good luck with Giving Tree. That is such an awesome thing that you're doing. And, thank you.、Um, this has really been great getting to know you, James. Yeah. And, thank you for、uh, having me. Talking to you. Yeah. Thank. Thank you so much. Yeah, more than happy to come back and we do、yes. future sessions. A lot、All、of things、right. that we talked before the interview. I know that we want to get deeper <laughs> in that we can do maybe next time. Okay, thanks, James. Good luck. All right, thank you.
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.